be blown away by Bang Bang Bark. You're fat. Just more made of love, honey. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 88, for the week of July 2nd, 2012. I am cock of nothing, David T. Cole, and I'm here with prop guy Joe Reed. Can I lotion those calves for you? And lawbreaker Tari Ariano. Tara, can I open by saying I thought for sure after Lawbreaker you were just going to go, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I feel like that's the only way we can open this episode is well with the McConaughey-est of McConaughey roles. But I wasn't being him. Mike. I was being in the audience. Oh, that is true. You are. Mm-hmm. You are the Lawbreaker. Here's what we're not talking about this week, you guys. G.I. Joe retaliation. Guys. Sad. What a... How... That, <laughs> The poster is still up at the movie what theater. What a perfect movie weekend it would it could have been. It really could have. Man, Magic Mike and G.I. Joe Retaliation. I know. All the hormones. All the flavors of Channing Tatum anyone could (gasps) ever want. Seriously, alive and dead, stripping (laughs) and fighting. Fortunately, Magic Mike was also something that we wanted to see. At least two of us did. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then Dave was pleasantly surprised that it was directed by Steven Soderbergh because yeah, he knew nothing. Did you really not know that? In. No, I didn't. I was really wow. out of the loop on this one. All I knew was about strippers, and everybody's looking forward to it for uh, all the same reasons. Sure. And at the end of it, <laughs> seriously, at the end of it, when his name comes up, that was a Steven Soderbergh moment. <laughs> <laughs> not even till the end credits. No, no it's because it doesn't, it doesn't say it at the beginning. That's amazing. Yeah, there's no, no that's credits true. at the start. So yeah, I'm the doof who didn't know. That's eh. awesome. My favorite thing about, I mean, there were many favorite things about Magic sure. Mike, but the the thing I loved was at the very beginning, after you see uh, McConaughey do his thing about the, the lawbreaker and what you can touch and what yeah. you cannot touch. Uh-huh. Um, the first things you see in order are. Channing Tatum's thick neck. Yep. Followed by Channing Tatum's juicy ass. <laughs> yeah. Followed by Olivia <laughs> Munn's boobs, just so like everybody can sure. be like covered. Hey, she has nice boobs. She does. And she probably should have spoiled this. <laughs> she has nice boobs. Spoiler. <laughs> Retroactive spoilers before. Fun ahoy. Whatever. Fun, fun I think people ahoy. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think people probably knew there was going to be nudity in the movie. Yeah. That's not really a spoiler. But when also, it happens in literally, as you say, the first three minutes, three minutes of the movie. And he steps out of bed and you can see his ass. And this one woman across the theater from me just goes, oh my. And everybody <laughs> just breaks out laughing. It was the best like icebreaker for the entire movie. I hope every screening had something like that. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it on more levels than I was prepared to. I, fe- mm-hmm. I felt like I'm going to enjoy this on some level regardless. Sure. Uh, my hope was that I could enjoy it on multiple levels, and mm-hmm. I ended up and I ended up doing that, I, which is not entirely surprising because I do like a Soderbergh movie. Sure, not all of them, but a good most of them. Yes, and he manages to make the sort of humdrum everything else that's happening outside the strip club mm-hmm. uh, interesting enough that you want to follow it, and it doesn't. Nothing really ever strays too far outside the borders of this life that they're living in the strip club. So it's not like, well, they're stripping, and then there's like a whole completely... Like, the custom furniture 
plot didn't stray too far where it's like you're watching him building things with a montage or anything Here, like that? Here's what that reminded me of. In the episode of The Simpsons with Scorpio, hmm. when Homer reveals that his lifelong dream is to own the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, and Lisa giggles and says, I'm sorry, that's just, that's just very cute. That's how I feel about his custom furniture business. He just wants to make coffee tables out of oxygen tanks or whatever the fuck that was. Yeah, what? I don't whatever. know. It looked like a jet engine it was really <laughs> mechanism very strange mm-hmm. yeah but whatever but i mean everything's got to have their whatever local color and yeah my worry was that this was going to be like the boyfriend experience but oh, i think he got around that by see. casting actual Oof. actors that the girlfriend helps. experience is terrible yeah it's also terrible cody horn in this movie terrible oh my god not a great character in general but not a better a actress role, but, but a better actress would have brought out is she more. the lady with the strong jaw yes. yeah she who had nothing to do with be sour the whole time yeah. also that's the other thing nothing to do with be, and be sour and in this movie full of like generally like non-moral judgments about yes. what what is essentially sex work sure she was not sex positive at all she was not. And Mary had like Olivia Munn, who granted, like in the sure. movie, like she ended up dumping him, so right. whatever. But that's a perfectly wonderful, sex positive lady. You know what? I completely agree. And I, I, I'll she's not just my say favorite it. actress. She's not my favorite either, but she was good. She was. I thought she was very good in that I liked role her. and very believable and yeah. very understood. Likeable. And yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I guess it's not Cody Horn's entire fault that that's her character. But really, I kept thinking, oh, other actresses could have brought more to this. Oh, definitely. Could have, at least you would have seen what he saw in her. At what least did, you would have cared that they get together. What did he see in her at all? I she was no, a bitch to him from second one. Maybe like, that's it, that she wasn't maybe. into him and that's what he found attractive. Maybe, yeah. Very the rulesy. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> she was negging him the entire time. She was. And that worked, so. She really was negging him. Sorry. She was negging me as well. Yeah. Um, but everything else I thought was good. I thought he handled the interpersonal stuff with the between the, all the strippers very mm-hmm. well, where you could tell that they all had sort of uh, distinct relationships with each other. I yeah. like the parts where, like, Alex Pettifer would be doing something and sort of, like, whatever, like, mm-hmm. farting around with whatever, being sure. cocky and an asshole. Uh-huh. And Matt Bomer would be, like, completely on the other side of the thing, having a conversation with Joe Mangianello <laughs> about, like, moisturizing or something like that. And he's like, the skin's your biggest organ in your body. Like, just like everybody was basically living their lives outside of where, and I thought that was a cool little And some people had figured it out. And like Matt Bomer, who apparently has a functional relationship with his wife and also deals drugs on the side sometimes. And Tarzan... You know, apparently has an issue where he needs to pass out every that now and guy. then, and everyone re- expects it to happen. I was so frightened of how much Kevin Nash nudity I was going to see because I knew he was in it, and I was yeah. like, oh, "He's so old." Um, yeah, he made he me laugh gross. throughout the entire funny. movie, though. Whenever they're doing the dance scenes, did you see the dance. one? Where and they he's were, always at like seventy percent, and uh, everybody else doing, is at one hundred. They were doing the military yeah. scene, yeah. and like Adam Rodriguez is on one side doing actual jumping jacks, and he's doing the yeah. arm motions <laughs> and yeah. nothing else. Yeah. It, killed me it was yeah. so well funny. that whole scene uh a lot of it had uh tainting front and center in focus and he's sort of like in the background sort of a bit blurry yeah and i just could not take my eyes off what he wasn't doing <laughs> yeah like everything else everybody else is doing he's yep. doing literally at 70 percent. it was really funny it was, 70 is maybe high. there was always something for you to watch in like in the foreground but also in the yes. side and everything like that yeah and i thought i mean i think maybe because this was like ripped from the headlines of Channing Tatum's actual life. Yes. I think they indulged him with a lot of dancing, which, uh, not a problem for me. He can dance. He can dance. Um, and I liked how Pettifer's non-dancing ability was also baked into that character, mm-hmm. where you couldn't ever hate him too much because he was just like, oh, he just doesn't know what he's doing. They he's really just a child did, who doesn't know what yes, he's doing. and they did a good job of showing like how a person could 
almost literally fall into this job. Yeah. Because it just was like... Right. This, it, he just a, pushed a series on stage of events and, yeah. took place and, and his life changed in a yeah. night, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, I thought it was very well cast other than Cody, Cody Horn. Right. And can we talk about Matthew McConaughey for a second? He yep. was... He was the best thing about this movie. He is... He was having a ball. It's impossible not to be... I think Scott Tobias said this because I tweeted yesterday the Oscar for Best Supporting yes. Actor goes to Matthew McConaughey for Magic Mike, which I'm not kidding. But don't back off of that. I'm not. And he tweeted back, no one could leave that movie not delighted by him. And I think he, that's exactly how I felt. If Everything Tom, he did made me giggle. If Tom Cruise can get a Golden Globe nomination for Tropic Thunder, there is no <laughs> yes. way McConaughey should not get a Golden Globe he nomination was, for this. Was it a stretch? No. No. I don't care. It was a really great performance. It was a lot he of fun to watch. He made that character completely three-dimensional. Yeah. All uh, the good and bad. Sure. I mean, that when when there's the thing early on about tell me I have equity in this bill this business yeah. you're like, well, this isn't going to end Which, well. But it, but still you're like how is he going to weasel out of it? Equity and him? I'm using finger quotes was the air rights of this movie by the way, <laughs> where it's just like, oh, equity and they kept saying it and I'm yes. like, I don't think you know what that no. means. I don't entirely know what you mean when you say that. <laughs> right. That's fine. Right. Whatever. It's right. a business thing. Right. Yeah, it was great. Yes. And I, when we get to see his house and he has that painting of himself and the bust of himself in the in his his costume from the show flipping the bird with a snake around his neck if someone knows how i can buy that prop from the movie i need it yeah. you will get that the day i get my giant poster of leslie nope's face in the shepherd fairy <laughs> nope uh, i think you can buy that online i've looked and i can't find I'm it surprised. anywhere i need mm. somebody do the legwork for me because right. i'm kind of lazy i just want the poster <laughs> i also liked how they didn't um, make fun of the ladies in the audience beyond yes. like one or two, like the time where Manginella sort of lifts up the lady and he hurts his back because she's a bigger lady. I know. That was regrettable because everything else in the movie, these ladies are just out to have a good time yeah. and they're not sad. They're not no. creepy. They're not predatory. They're no. just they're having, just having a good fun time. as much as the guys are having fun. Yes. What yeah. were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, you know, that the stripper parts were very un- unrestrained. Mm-hmm. I felt the, the, the movie itself kind of felt like a boogie night's light. Yes. Yeah, yes. very, very much so. And not knowing it was Sodenberg until his, you know, he put a stamp on it at uh-huh. the end. <laughs> I was like, this is just sort of like Boogie Nights, but not quite as, you know, Depraved. in your face. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and sort of, it was interesting, though. It's not like I, I would consider it like a ripoff or uh, a lesser being. Uh-huh. It, you know, it made choices, whereas, you know, Boogie Nights was um, in your face and went to both ends of the spectrum this this movie lived in the middle well yeah. stripping is like porn light that's yeah. that's what i mean but and certainly stripping but, in 2012 yes but the 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 good times were okay yeah and the terrible times where in boogie nights people are getting shot and yeah. going to weird stuff this is you know this is just well you know, I lost ten thousand dollars right. bailing my buddy out. Yeah. Channing Tatum really should have punched him in the face it, in that scene at the end, where oh he's talking God. about how great yeah. their life is. Yeah, like, and like I'll totally pay you back every penny. Like, no, you won't. He has a totally you punchable know you face won't, too. Like, and he knows you won't. Exactly. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I, I did think, too. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. a good movie, but I, I I agree. I like. I mean, I wish. I understand what he was t- trying to do. It's not a step up. No, right. Which is fine. Yes. Would I have liked it to be even less dark in the dark parts? Sure. Sure. But but I but I get I get what he was doing. Yeah. And obviously there had to be a drug plot line where some you know which yeah. makes like we yes, were alluding to like yeah. can we talk about 
um, whether a sandbar party, which is something they do in the movie. Yes. They all get on a boat and they go to basically, you know, a sandbar in the middle of nowhere yeah. where you're just trapped on a little piece of sand surrounded by ocean and yeah. you just drink beers and throw a football two yards to the other end of the island. Yes. Uh, is that fun? Because that seemed like party prison to me. I think I anywhere think you go fun. with a cooler full of beer and you're just sort of chilling around in the sun, like that's fine with me. Right. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was fine. The other thing I wanted to say is... Just bring your own boat, Dave. It's fine. That's true. <laughs> Leave whatever you want. So long, gotta as go, your, guys. as long as your boat stays there <laughs> and doesn't fucking Trouble drift away. Trouble with the server. Gotta, gotta bits and bite this. Gotta reboot this. It was only gonna be for a few hours because they had to come back and do their great... 777. July 4th Independence Day show, which, by the way, is there a greater tribute to America than that routine? There is not. I say no. No. I loved the music Maybe the that patriotic they, cookies I had a few weeks ago from Memorial Day. The music they used within the strip routines also mm-hmm. was perfectly correct. They didn't try try too hard with anything yeah. too cool. Right. Everything was it's raining men. Yes. And save a horse, ride a cowboy, yes. and these like really like R and B jams or whatever. It's I like, would have liked to what hear, you would hear We Found Love in a Hopeless Place. Well of course, wouldn't we all the trailer really, really got our hopes up. It really did. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I can't hear that song without thinking of this movie now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really has married itself to... Uh, well, I'm seeing my sister in three weeks, so I promised her we would go see this. Yeah, so, um, yeah I'm excited will. to. I'm excited to see it again. Will you be I, wearing your tiaras in the audience? No, I'll be wearing my tearaway pants. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> Going from one topic to another Appropriate segue makes it smooth as Here we go. The newsroom. The newsroom. Here's my impression of all the dialogue. Only a week ago. Only a week ago. Doesn't it seem like forever ago? Because everybody has really processed their feelings about it very quickly. Yes. It was not the girls of its day. No. Well, it was in that every single person had to have an opinion on it, and every opinion on it was the same. Mm. That's true. There were there's I, there was no us of the newsroom. There was no dissenters mm, to the David Denby wrote a blog post for the New Yorker. Oh, God bless by him. T- defending it, and not only that, comparing Aaron Sorkin to Patty Chayefsky, who wrote Network, <gasps> uh, and Pat, and then uh, Aaron Sorkin uh, died of a boner poisoning. Favorably, <laughs> comparing Aaron Sorkin favorably, saying he's a better writer than Patty Chayefsky. That's awesome. I mean, I guess David Denby thought, I'm going to shit on my, any credibility I had left with anyone, because I fucking bless. hate him. I, I read The New Yorker every week. Sure. I never read anything he writes, ever. Yeah. He's the Christopher Hitchens of The New Yorker, <laughs> except that he's alive. Here's my impression of all the dialogue in the newsroom. <laughs> except it goes on for so much longer. It's so stupid. In this episode, the pilot was supposed to be the very best one. Of the first four, Of the first four, yeah. which is as many as critics got. And it, it was so asinine. He's, I don't know if he's like, now he's doing self-parody. I can't tell if it's knowing when he writes a scene between the two lead female characters in this newsroom where shit is in the process of going down and they're talking about boys. Yeah. And then later on, the younger girl does something great and the older girl goes, I'm taking you shopping. Yeah. I here's, mean, here's here's why my hunch that? here's why my hunch is that that's not knowing mm-hmm. is that anytime the writer of something of a of an opening series monologue where uh, your lead character insults a young girl by calling her oh, sorority, sorority girl, girl and then goes on to conduct an interview in which he insults the writer by calling her internet girl I'm going to guess that that, that person is not life. self-aware enough yes yeah. in real life yeah. that person is not self-aware enough to do anything Aaron Sorkin seems like he's like literally 
always stewing in his own juices yeah. to the point now where he's ret- like he's become a reduction of Aaron Sorkin. Like he is now <laughs> the essence well, of Sorkin and, just, and you can only take just a tiny little bit on your tongue. Yeah. He, he's, he can't help himself with the internet too, because like, no, Oh my God. He goes, okay. oh, we're writes, aware. he goes and writes the social network and gets fucking jacked off on by the critical community and, and an gets Oscar. an Oscar for it. And even still, he can't grant the internet one bit of credit for anything. Oh, well, let me, t- let me tell you this. Yeah. Okay. So what happens in the pilot is they get, they get some kind of feed from the AP where it's like breaking stories. And there's a whole thing about the story because it takes place in 2010. Which the we'll, recent we'll get past. Back to, we'll get back to that. So it's the day of the, um, the Gulf oil the Gulf, spill. The BP, yeah. <clears throat> and so the story is marked yellow. So all the dumb news producers are like, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's only marked yellow. Yeah. And then all the smarter news producers have to decide whether this is a real story or not. And then it, they go through their whole thing and they put on the news and it's exactly all the things that you everyone should have done on April 20th, 2010. It's that, fan that fiction. they didn't. It's fan fiction. And then at the very end of the episode, we go back to someone's monitor and only after the episode is finished has it turned red from yellow. So, like, they were smarter than the AP, you guys. This dumb old internet feed couldn't keep up with <sighs> the truth. Anyway, I, I acquired through methods um, screeners uh-huh. of the next three episodes. So I watched the second episode, which will be airing tomorrow as we record this. Okay. There is a... I can't... Is there a, already a hostage plot? No. There's a storyline involving the new email system that oh, no. we have... I'm not even joking. Oh. That they, they have a morning meeting where it's like everyone's sort of pitching their stories and they're like, oh, the, and then not only that, the Indian guy has to explain how it works. He's not the IT guys they established in the pilot. But he's you mean like, his name isn't Punjab? <laughs> that was fucking beyond, beyond. We'll get back to that too. Yeah. So there's the thing with this new internet system, which totally in 2010, people were getting new internet systems all the time <laughs> for their email. It's not like a basic thing everyone has in their goddamn pockets. It was really tough for a news, news organization to accept a instantaneous message <laughs> format. Right. So finally in 2010, <clears throat> they hop on board. So what it is though, is that like there's something to do with I wasn't paying close enough attention because it's so idiotic. But like either you have to or you have not to put an asterisk in the to line to avoid sending an email to the entire staff. So Emily Mortimer's character, Mackenzie McHale, what? Which sidebar, what British person of her age is named Mackenzie? Can't even. Getting back to this. Can't even. She tries to send a test email in the message, fucks it up and sends it to everyone. Do you think she's going to send an accidental message to everybody on the staff later in the episode? <laughs> Spoiler! She does. And it's something about her relationship with Will that's extremely personal. And because of this dumb... like. Like, how many years ago was that Office episode about Michael accidentally mm-hmm. sending the uh-huh. topless photo of Jan? of Jan? I looked it up seven years ago. Wow. Like, <laughs> that's how long it's been since any of us is like, have, have we all sent the net email accidentally? Of course. Of course. But-, but not because the technology was so ill-conceived that you have to put or not put an asterisk in your field line in order. Like, it's just yeah. betrays such a basic misunderstanding of how shit works in right. the world. Right. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I would like, somebody should do like a YouTube thing about Aaron Sorkin, like as a writer a hundred years ago, mm. where it's all the same plots, but it's about the telephone <laughs> or something, you know, <laughs> where it's just like yeah. <laughs> yes. railing against this newfangled whatever. God damn this raveling Jenny. As, he, <laughs> as the camera pans in. 
for 30 minutes as he writes a very long letter, <laughs> licks the envelope, puts it in the mailbox Seals like God intended. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So, yeah. uh, so Jeff Daniels is the lead that I'm not sure how we're supposed to feel about him because he's supposed to be a cock. Like it's, it's clearly a, po- a cock. They're writing, him, they're writing the, him to be a terrible person. The Punjab thing is... Is obviously supposed to support that, right. and yet we're supposed to be on his side because he has so much integrity, even though he's personally right. bo- doesn't get along with anyone. Right, it doesn't matter because he's a capital G, G, capital M, great man. Yeah, man, not person. Nope. And meanwhile, because, Jeff because Daniels things, is, the world used to be run by great men, and wasn't yes. the world better when the world was run by in great the forties? Yeah, everything was better for everyone wasn't in the forties, wasn't it? Though depends who you ask. Uh. But he, Jeff Daniels bringing to this role all the fuckface energy that he brought to fucking flap in terms of endearment. Like, it's not his fault. He's a good actor. But this part is so thankless. Like, it's, yeah. it's impossible to be on his side. No, yeah. Even if you didn't know that he was modeled on Keith Olbermann, yeah. the prickiest prick that ever pricked, Yes, he's prickier than Keith Olbermann. Well, and also, if you're going to do make him the Keith Olbermann character, mm-hmm. you it, it undercuts everything to, as you said, make him a great man. Right. Because all of a sudden, like, that's not, that cuts off any kind of where you're going with the story. Mm -hmm. Like, where does this, where does this awful person go when he's trying to, you know, make his way in news where he has to work with a team? That's just Aaron Sarkin trying to, you know, have his cake and eat it, too. Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Which is why it's also set in the recent past, too. So he doesn't have to try and make up news and then make up how you report it. You know what? That part, he gets to do fanfic. You know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's like you're, here's what I'm going to do, Aaron Sorkin fans. I'm going to do a sports metaphor because who doesn't (laughs) love a sports metaphor more than Aaron Sorkin? It's like he's playing basketball, except all he's doing is he's standing on a ladder next to the hoop. (laughs) And he's just, every single one it's just like pass to him in the hoop pass right. to him in the hoop yes because it's so fucking easy to get it right right and to look that good doing it right when you know all the answers when yes. you yeah i didn't mind the uh that whole just using the news from whatever i mean it's i mean we'll see what he does with it right well i think what he's but, what he's done with it so far i don't i don't mind the actual decision to do that that's a that's one of two ways you can go with it yep. and that's fine mm-hmm. i think the decision to do that in order to really basically like show up regular news the yeah. way it was done. Yes. Is, well, the temptation is for him to cherry pick what yeah. he talks about and, you know, just show how it would have been done by better people right. in yeah. his estimation. Right. He, yes. I mean, if he does that time after time, sure. Yeah. He, you know, that that's not the greatest way to, to yeah. tackle it, but just the idea of using old news yeah. as you know setting the you know rolling a, tw- a two-year roll yeah i didn't mind i didn't mind that part of it but yeah all depends how he uses it i think mostly, and he won't use it right yeah i'm sure no it mostly bums me out i can't I, f- I feel like i wish i could enjoy it to the level that you are clearly enjoying it yeah it just really bums me out that i was i was kind of hoping i don't know why <laughs> that i thought i was going to get this but i was hoping for a return to a form with the West Wing where I feel like I can still go back and watch the West Wing and be like, it wasn't this bad. He mm-hmm. wasn't this much of a self-parody. Right. He still had some kind of controls. His characters would get would be wrong a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there were differing opinions. This just the other thing that I noticed about this, and maybe it's just the first episode, but it was directed really poorly. You couldn't, uh, yeah. the dialogue with, I, you're sort of, you know, you're riding on Sorkin's dialogue in these things, and it felt really muddled in a lot of those, that endless Emily Mortimer, Jeff Daniels conversation in his office that they mm-hmm. kept cutting back to. I kept 
missing every third word because everything sounded just really muddy and garbled. There, The setting doesn't change from that big newsroom bullpen for probably the middle 40 minutes of the 75 minutes of the episode. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like it went on for this endless amount of time and it was already not interesting to me because of how bad it was. And that I just I just thought it was mostly boring, more boring than anything else. It just sort of felt like it sat there mm-hmm. for, like I said, the middle 40 minutes and didn't really go anywhere. And because the dialogue seemed really predictable and really dumb, there was no action mm-hmm. to me at all. So You know what's going to be really intolerable? What? Is when Aaron Sorkin writes this movie about Steve Jobs. Uh, yeah. Because... Uh, you have a kind of a cock of a guy <laughs> writing about a kind of a cock of a guy. Yes. Who, but who nonetheless, did great things, yes. right? Who is like up on this. And who won at life, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, that is going to be interesting because that could be like the perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, how. It, except unlike the perfect storm, they won't all end up dead in the ocean. <laughs> Well, one does anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my um, Kim, our dear friend Kim yes. of Kim's Most Awesome Thing tweeted on Sunday night, this is my smash. And that's how I feel about it too. It which is. I, smash was my smash too. <laughs> but it's like... This is your this, off-season smash. This is my off-season smash without the musical numbers. Right. So, it was, soft it's, Broadway. Yeah, it's... it's um, it's expensive. Yeah. It's glossy. Yes. It's extremely self-important. Yes. For all the wrong reasons. Lots of good actors in it. It really thinks it's something. Yeah. And it's just misbegotten and on every level and missing opportunities left and right. Yeah. Getting worse as the season progresses. Trust me. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so terrible that it's mesmerizing and as a, as, as a capper to that is it true what i read some people saying on twitter that episode four indeed involves bigfoot as i a have not line? watched it yet really? i'm i'm parceling out i have two more episodes in these screeners that i got and i'm i'm tr- i'm treasuring i'll, I'll admit that yeah. i i couldn't tell if that was real or not well but if it is real kudos we can watch it today i'm looking forward I got to also <laughs> a let me know when they get to gilbert and sullivan because they will <laughs> Yeah. B, if I'm going to say the one positive thing about the entire episode, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Sadowski, yeah. I would make out with that. That's yeah, my one. A, he's that's fine. my one. I guess. He's not. He's better looking than the other guy. Oh, and I love John Gallagher Jr., though. Mm-hmm. I saw him in Jerusalem on Broadway last year, and he was really, really good. All right. <laughs> More for you. All right, it's time for the canon settle in. I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. <laughs> we all remember last time I talked about a, a drama in the canon that was back on Battlestar Galactica's 33, which actually lasted 33 Dave, minutes. Is this episode titled 47? Yes, it is. Awesome. Uh, I am talking about Deadwood, the season one finale called Sold Under Sin. So I looked up Sold Under Sin because it rang a bell. It's from the Bible, as a lot of Deadwood titles are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the gist of the verse that Sold Under Sin is from is um, it's the study. It's, it's, it's Paul talking about uh, people that are either under the state, un, under a legal system that is either full of grace or without grace. That's where it's a quote from. So a lot of this episode is about that, about people that are living in a community that is transitioning from one where they're making their own rules to one where they're going to be annexed into the United States and everybody's sort of jockeying for a position at the end of season one. So let's get right into it. Um, at the beginning of... Oh, this is also an episode which alternatively to me could have been titled 
people speak truth to Seth Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> it happens a lot. Um, so um, this is a pretty dense show normally, and this episode is, and it doesn't follow that A B storyline construction. No. It's at things all, really roll into each they other. They roll into. So I'm just going to go through literally, literally, and talk about stuff I liked, you know, as we go along. Linearly. Linearly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the start of the episode, the Reverend, who has a brain tumor. Oh, Andy. Yeah, he's dying very slow, painful, protracted death. And Doc, who is, has historically problems with God for letting people suffer. You know, he's a Civil War surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of got some post-traumatic stress syndrome very angry. issues. Yeah. He's an angry guy. He's having trouble um, dealing with this. And... Um, what happens in this episode is uh, the cavalry comes to town. Uh, General Crook, who uh, led the cavalry at the Battle of Slim Butte, which was sort of the uh, Custer's Revenge troop, um, he rolls into town, and it's sort of uh, um, you know this is America coming to town, and Al Swearingen, everybody's favorite Deadwood character, sitting on his balcony watching the army roll in, and he knows that he's got to muster his forces and start jockeying for a position now. Tell Johnny, brew some coffee, open some peaches. Peaches! Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the annexation of the territory to the states isn't like a surprise plot point or anything like that. Everybody knows it's coming, and they're just all getting ready for it, and they're putting their power plays. Um, And with the general in tow comes the magistrate. And the magistrate um, from... uh, Oh, what's that? Yankton. Yankton. He um, has been blackmailing Al. Um, Al did some bad things back in Chicago and he's Mm -hmm. trying to basically, he's he's like buying an indulgence from the magistrate and he's sort of being squeezed. And in a previous episode, uh, Silas um, Adams, Cyrus. Oh, oh, Silas. Yeah, Silas Adams. Sorry, sorry, sorry. um, Basically has agreed um, to kill the magistrate on Al's behalf, but he missed him. So now the magistrate is in town. Um, Trixie is uh, back. She's at the margins around the margins of the gem um, after her suicide attempt. And what her story has been is that she helped Alma break her drug problem. And she's back kind of worried that Al is really upset with her for helping Alma out. Al's plan was to have her basically become a drug addict and that would unravel all her dealings in the town. But really Al is actually concerned about Trixie, the person. Um, then uh, Doc brings his uh, leg brace in for Jewel, who I guess, what would that be, palsy, I guess? She, well, the actress in real life has cerebral palsy. Yeah. And um, so this is big, clanky, Civil War-esque, yeah. you know, nuts and bolts and levers, and there's probably a steam engine in there somewhere. <laughs> a slightly less rough version of what Mr. Bates tried to do in uh-huh. Downton Abbey. Yeah. Right. Um, brings it to her, and uh, she, he is very adamant that he report anything. Any discomfort, any pain um, to her, to him right away. And then he goes upstairs to talk to Al about the Reverend. Um, he wants Al's whores to nurse him in his last uh, days on Earth. A man being cared for and made comfortable till he expires. Girls you put to the task, deduct your time from my pay. I get the bag of shit. You get to care for a human being in his last extremity. A human being in his last extremity is a bag of shit. Oh, fuck you, Al! They're putting Andy into horse piss. Thank you! Oh, God. 
<laughs> Thank you. Good night. You know, it's interesting. Doc's the only guy that really gets to chew out Al. Oh, yeah. Like, people will disagree with him, but Doc has got the Doc and get Wu, out of jail. kind of. Well, Wu, I think, is, is a bit... That's just how they have to communicate. They have yeah. to communicate yeah, with true. body language <laughs> and yeah. shouting because yeah. they don't really have yeah. the language skills involved. Yeah. Um, and then there's this moment as the... Uh, so Al agrees to take the the uh, reverend in there's this small moment right after where al asks after trixie not by name how's the other one doing doc knows trixie's fine so we get these little moments where al slowly you know letting trixie back in into his life so meanwhile in chinatown someone is really upset with the output of the chinese laundry and uh junkie guy yeah what's happening is uh as we'll see later cy tolliver's making a move on chinatown with the help of his puppet sheriff uh um Con Stapleton. Con Stapleton and Con Stapleton's giant gibbous, <laughs> which is like one of the best costume notes in this whole thing. Um, back at the EB Hotel, uh, Elma and her dad, Otis, are discussing the matter of his debts in what is a great scene and really sets up uh, her dad as one of the great cocks of... Oh, yeah. Just scumbag. Yeah. You s- said they'd been entirely satisfied. They had. Entirely. Those debts. These are... Debts you hadn't admitted? No, these are debts I incurred subsequently. We might call them the children of the debts that I admitted to. Generating from the interest on the previous debts. Alma. Watching you struggle with what is beneath your spirit to understand is always painful for me. What a cock. It's the worst. So He's the dad from Boy Meets Boy, World. Boy Meets World, I know. So she's obviously upset, and she goes to Bullock for some help Does she with help? her daddy. And Saul, he goes, she goes to the, uh, the, their warehouse, and Saul's seeing what's happening. God bless his heart. Saul's such a good what guy. What is it, Mrs. Garrett? Seth, I've got to go do that. Thanks. <laughs> he knows. He knows better to be a part of this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Alma, you know, this is one of those careful what you uh, wish for moments. As we all know, Seth Bullock has a bit of anger management issues. <laughs> um, so Seth immediately has it out with uh, Otis. And Otis sort of believes his willingness to blame his daughter for his her, uh, her husband's death sort of shields him, gives him immunity in the camp. But, of course, Seth is having none of it after he explains why nobody's going to touch him in camp because he'll just squeal. Seth beats the shit out of him. Leave this camp and draw a map for anyone who wants to believe your fucking lies. Anyone wants to put your daughter or her holdings in jeopardy, you show them how to get here. And you tell them, I'll be waiting. Um, I just, In case you maybe were not going to mention it, during that whole scene... Otis is spitting his teeth. Yeah. Out of his I own love mouth, that mouth, detail. Just all like repeatedly, one after I mean, they, the other. It comes. They come back later. <laughs> literally, <laughs> when um, what's her face? Joni brings them over. Yeah, to, oh, like yeah. a Looney Tune. Yeah. They come out like a Looney Tune cartoon. They really do. After yeah, a just, fight with explosion and stars and arms coming yeah. out of the smoke. And yeah. no one. What I love. What I love most about that moment is no one even tries. Oh to no. Stop him. I mean, Saul's Ricky like, Jay's there, uh, like dealing cards or whatever, and he's right. like, "Everybody, don't get anything on the table." I mean, Saul sort of calls out Seth's name, but he's like on the other side of town. Yeah. Practically, like yeah. he's not coming over there to try and physically take him off. Right. Yeah. So events in Chinatown continue, and now the guy, the laundry guy, who you know did did a bad job, didn't you know give away his ancient secrets, is now dead. Has uh, been shot, or st- I think he's shot. Yeah, he's shot. Yeah. And uh, in walks in, you know, the puppet sheriff Khan, 
and strutting his stuff. Basically, this is... He's the side- most ridiculous character ever on that show. He's, he's great. He's so fantastic. Dead was interesting, you know, because it has, like, this base of strong char- characters and surrounded by caricatures. Yeah. And, it, and But somehow the ecosystem works. You know, like um, in season two, you get the uh, telegraph guy, mm-hmm. Belinsky, yeah. uh-huh. coming in, and he's just like, you know, this weirdo Russian guy, yeah. but he works. And the racist stable guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so Seth, being witness to all this, is disgusted, basically tells Khan, look, if you're going to be running your death errands, do it without the badge, and kind of takes off his badge, throws it throws in the it mud. In, in the thoroughfare. Yeah, yeah, in the thoroughfare, and <laughs> Khan goes to pick it up, and... Um, Tom Nuttall. Nut- yeah, Nuttall's like, leave it there, you bada, son of a bitch, oh, and a nice great. little Nuttall. moment. Yeah. <laughs> this thing about Deadwood, and we'll get to it, but like, in every scene, you have a new favorite character. Yeah, like, it's I, true. I really feel that. Like, yeah. You know, I, I started this episode being like, oh, Andy's my favorite, and then yeah. the Doc is my favorite. Yeah. It just goes on. Like, yeah. everyone is... Dan is my favorite. Oh. Everyone is the best. Yeah. So we got a rotten sheriff. We've got Seth that's beat the shit out of Alma's dad. And how. And he's now realizing all the events he's set in motion, that Alma's dad is going to go back to New York, marshal the forces, ruin his daughter, take everything over that his daughter's worked for. Mm -hmm. So he goes to everybody's new favorite character, Dan, in the gym and lays it out for him in one of the better scenes from the episode. I don't care if the whole U.S. cavalry walks in here. You don't want to pour another drink. You just want to listen to me, because if the man doesn't die whose face I just broke, he's going to go to New York City and tell Brom Garrett's people it breaks his heart to say so, but his daughter had their son murdered. He'll tell them. Knowing how he does, they won't want their son's rightful property in the hands of the woman who killed him. He'll swear to what he heard from her own lips, and those society people in New York City who live with their heads up their asses anyway will believe them. And whoever they send out here may take up to 15 minutes before they decide, being you were involved in the transaction first to last, it must have been you and your boss she hired to push her idiot husband off the cliff. Of course, they'll be wrong about Mrs. Garrett, but they'll be right as rain about you two cocksuckers. People in New York City particularly have their heads up their asses, the coffee bean, right, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Sidebar, I was in a coffee bean and, and tea leaf the other day, and I went in there to get an iced coffee, and there's like four of us at the register waiting for the people behind the counter to stop their personal conversation about <gasps> some concert or something they didn't see, and all four of us at the same time, looked at each other, and without actually saying it, said, fuck this place, and we all walked out. At this, <laughs> no at kidding. This, this is after we all ordered. So it wasn't Citizen like they were like... action. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great New York moment. Um, all right, anyways. So um, take that, Seth Bullock. <laughs> so Seth lays it out for Dan, and now we have our first people speaking truth to <laughs> Seth Bullock. Dan, in reply... Because he sees that Seth. Seth is holding the, the, mar- the his uh, sheriff's, sheriff's badge. badge that he's taken off of Khan. And yeah. he's gripping it in his hand like he's going to break it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan says, Just so I understand, if he don't die, you're saying the man's luck don't have to hold out. Now that's the message you want me to take upstairs. I don't swim in that shit. You ought to pin that on your chest. You're hypocrite enough to wear it. Speaking truth to Seth Bullock. I, oh, shit. I love Seth Bullock almost as much as I love anybody on the show, but yes. I wanted to high five Dan so That's much a after good that. Line. That's a he's great. right. And he's right. He's totally right. Seth wanted him to go and kill this guy so he wouldn't have to. And yeah. 
And and Dan is great. Yeah, Dan is great. Dan's another favorite character. And I love when Deadwood gets in to these long conversations, the weird cadence, that sort of like Mm -hmm. frontier Shakespearean thing that's going on, which I can't actually, my brain can't parse sometimes exactly what the construction of this sort of hybrid Yep. languages but yep. it works so well yep. and it sort of just makes it its own world almost yeah. I just love it and and Seth Bullock is sort of like one of the more normal talkers you know obviously when you get like because he hardly swear- talks yeah but when you get like Swearjin and um like the doc or something Cy like that. Cy Tolliver talks in circles yeah. on the show. It's really amazing <laughs> to listen to. It's pretty great. So um, after this, uh, Wu approaches Al about the happenings in Chinatown, and Al's really having none of it. And Al, he, this discussion happens off screen. Yeah, and basically his reply to Wu is sort of like the tagline for the whole series, so I just wanted to uh, clip that. Do you come to camp for justice or to make your fucking way? Really, that's what the show's about, yeah. and that's that's his answer to Wu. Like, yeah, that shit happens. Yeah, but you know, you're here to make money, like everybody else. We're all here to make our fortunes. So, classic immigrant story, right, Dave? It is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, back at the uh, Star and Bullock um, warehouse store, Bullock is like seriously brooding, and now Saul speaks truth <laughs> to Seth Bullock. I'm sensing you've done things today you wish you could amend, Seth. What kind of man have I become, Saul? I don't know. The day ain't fucking over. So now Seth is now regretful for all his actions. He's basically put everybody in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to Cy Tolliver at the Bella Union having dinner with the general and his cronies. And the magistrate. And the magistrate. And basically, uh, what Sai is trying to do now is buy a private army. So this is, you know, his play with the sheriff and now trying to get, um, you know, guns for hire so he can basically wrestle the town away from Al. And uh, the general, uh, Peter Coyote, plays the general. He is sort of like, you know, uh, it's sort of a tired meme, but you know, all those things on the net, it's like the um, Dungeons and Dragons alignment chart, (laughs) you know, whether they're... Neutral, chaotic good chaotic or, good yeah. or law, like he, here's a lawful good kind of guy like yeah. he is um a law enforcement officer but is aware of the prejudices of men and acts in accordance to their bias yeah and he sees Tolliver for for what he is and later makes a you know a remark that you know if yeah, but I wasn't so busy, I'd yeah, hang you for yeah. what you just said, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um so in walks um Seth Bullock interrupts the uh the dinner and needs to have a talk with the general about protecting the father that he just beat the shit out of because he set in motion Al's henchmen to kill him. And here we go. Guess what happens? The general speaks truth to Seth Bullock. I will hold Mr. Russell under protection as a gesture to your brother's sacrifice. Thank you, sir. I would add in a camp where the sheriff can be bought for bacon grease. A man, a former marshal, who understands the danger of his own temperament. He might consider serving his fellows. All I want from my autumn years is to have a voice like Peter Coyote's there. That's all I ask. I mean, we, we can deal with Alzheimer's and, you know, poo in my pants, but that voice. Wait, you can record, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't agree to that. 
But the thing about the brother is that Seth has mentioned in his preamble right. that his brother served and was killed in yeah. the war. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and then in the episode's weakest scene, Joni comes to visit Alma and give her her dad's teeth, which is a nice little touch. Yeah. But any scene with Joni, and I think maybe Joe, we've had a disagreement about this in the yeah, past. I think probably. But I, Joni is just the weakest character I in really? the show. I think that oh. actress blows this part. She is bad. Um, and I have never liked her. There is thing. a scene, there is a moment in this. Joni wingmans Alma perfectly in that scene. She, that's true. She takes that kid out of the room. Oh, yeah. like, have at it, lady. Yep. But the other part of that scene is where she is explaining to Alma her past and how she was sold into prostitution and she can't even make that sad or pitiable. Well, um, and also it's like, we all probably could have guessed that that's what brought her into this yeah. line of work. Anyway. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, I don't know. I just, for me, the Joni part is the weakest part of this episode. I always thought that character wasn't, I, I wish somebody else was in that role. Mm-hmm. And whenever she pops up, I'm always a little bit taken out. She uh-huh. seems like she's not on level with the other, you know, is not doing the same thing the other actors in the show um, are doing. I know she ruined Footloose for you. Did oh, she? right. She was in Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> so knock, knock on the door. Mm-hmm. Here comes Seth. And as Joe was saying, uh, Joni does the right thing, takes Sophia, her uh, Alma's ward out for, for dinner so they can have a little alone time. And uh, Commence disrobing <laughs> sequence. <laughs> It goes on. 45, 45 minutes, minutes later, later, they get to Alma's it. like, there's just a, seven more petticoats to go. There's a flying buttress in there. Oh there's like God. everything going on in there. <laughs> so complicated. And the best part is uh, Seth is a little bit awkward about it. Oh, God. And uh, guess what happens during the scene? Alma speaks truth to Seth Bullock. If you'd, um, if you'd be more comfortable behind the screen... Seth. Hey. Jesus. She's about to show you her nipples under several more layers of clothes. <laughs> Just kidding. Only one layer. So, uh, Doc, between everything that's happened in this episode, between the preacher and the army coming into town, is having a post-traumatic stress episode. Oh, yeah. And is, He's also drunk. He's self-medicating. He's self-medicating. He's chewing all the scenery in uh-huh. his office, having a little... You know, remembrance of soldiers that died in his arms yeah. back in the Civil War. And a Civil War surgeon's job was basically sawing off I was going to say, you're hacking off limbs. That's for basically, a you're a butcher. It's like being in those a horse vet. Yeah. yeah, basically. So, you know, he's got a lot of horrific images and, you know, situations to deal with. And um, he ends up praying to God in his drunken stupor. Admitting my understanding's imperfection. Trusting that you have a purpose. Praying that you consider it served. I beg you to relent. Thy will be done. Amen. Meanwhile, across town... As God Agents goes, Al is a very surprising choice. (laughs) Um, They're in one of the rooms at the gym. He gets it done. Uh, as, it's a teaching moment, really, also. Well, yeah, so I was going to say, as Johnny looks on, yeah. Al, angel of mercy, kills the preacher, but he couches everything in instruction to Johnny, who Johnny sort of like has designs to sort of be on the same level as Dan, Johnny. hopelessly. I know. And um, so here we have it. You want to be a road agent? Deal out death when called upon? <laughs> Make a proper seal. 
stop up the breath, apply pressure, even and firm, like packing a snowball. So we have that little betrayal of Al's stone facade at the end as he whispers yeah. to the uh, to the reverend there. You can go, brother. Well, Andy is one of the only completely pure good people right. in yeah. the entire camp. And like, Al generally, throughout the series, responds to those people. Yes. And, and a real person, by the way. A real historical. Oh, really? Yeah, he was the, the, the do-good preacher that came into yeah. to Deadwood, yeah. Um, and then after the mercy kill, Al exits the room, and there's this v- another small visual moment between him and Trixie. Trixie's sort of waiting outside, and he just sort of, like, has this eye-to-eye silent contact that's sort of thawing a little bit more of the ice between them. Well, isn't this one, the, the, is this one Doc, Doc hasn't made it over there yet? No. No, not yet. Okay, sorry. So what happens next is Al wraps up his dealings with the magistrate. You know, it was like Adam slits his throat, as was sort of, you know, planned all along. Just mm-hmm. thought he was going to do it somewhere else than Deadwood. Sure. Ends his trouble with the uh, Chicago crowd. And then he delivers, Al, delivers the preacher's body to Doc's office. Or, you know, Doc's, yeah, office. And Doc is... Um, Super drunk. Very drunk now. <laughs> he is very, very drunk. Um, and then Bullock approaches Al for sort of his blessing. Now that he's yeah. realized that he needs to be the sheriff, that he has sort of the town's interests in heart. He's, he's the best person for the job, let's yes. say, yeah. in town. Um, he sort of has this moment where he has to go to Al for sort of his blessing, right? I mean, he's the guy in control of the town. He's got most people in his pocket. And he sort of... <laughs> There's this moment he just walks in and that's nonchalantly says, with blood stain on your floor. And, you know, it's very telling. So he's going to have to operate as the law within a town where you're going to have to turn a blind eye to a lot of stuff yep. for the greater common good. Mm-hmm. And so that was a nice little part. Of course, the blood stain being the magistrate's uh, contents. Yeah. Um, and there's this great moment between Seth and Al about the actual transfer of power of, of the sheriffship. I'll be the fucking sheriff. Starting when? Starting now. You have the tin? I do. Produce it. On the tip. I know where it goes. <laughs> on the tit. On My the favorite tit. thing about I don't have many favorite things about Deadwood. We're calling this the episode on the tit, by the way. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um Deadwood only going three seasons was a sad thing in general, but yeah. the fact that their relationship never really ever thawed beyond like sturdy appreciation of each other, but they Well, yeah. there's some mutual respect. Mutual respect, but it was always still just that, just sort of stiff and mm-hmm. like Al would still end up saying something that would just sort of like set Bullock's jaw on edge. And I loved that about those two. Yeah. Um, so that's almost in the, the episode. The end of the episode is basically a few small moments. We have a dance with Doc and Jewel Which is quite in her boots. Yeah. It's very nice. Um, One of the few such moments in this show. Seth and Alma watching each other from opposite sides of the thoroughfare on yeah. their respective balconies. Right. Where she flashes less skin at him than I am flashing at <laughs> Joe right now. Ooh la la. <clears throat> and then another small Trixie Al moment. And it's sort of like it ends 
on sort of a calm, peaceful human moment, yeah. which is sort of rare and fleeting for the town of Deadwood. So yeah. it's a nice little wrap up to the season. And obviously everybody knows this moment's not going to last right. and, you know, shit's coming down. Well, the they've just sent Otis back to New yeah. York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> roped to the back of a mule. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there, you know, we assume there will be consequences. for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is sold under sin. Yeah, I mean, we covered everything I would want to say. I, I I like the way the show staged when shit is going down, the way people would just come out and yeah. watch. Yes. <laughs> that was a nice reflection of like, yeah, that's what people would do because yeah. you would have to keep tabs on what was going on yeah. and have things to talk about because yeah. it's not like you're watching TV. Well, that was one of my favorite things about the show just in general is like anytime something serious happened in any kind of public arena, there would always be at some point a cutaway to Cy Tolliver mm-hmm. sort of looking sort of like, not Al wouldn't maybe always be there because sometimes he had kidney stones. Right. But <laughs> right. Cy would always just sort of be like looking and just be like, how's this going to work for right. Cy, which I love. Right, but when 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 Seth is making his way over to the Belly Union to confront yeah. Otis, like everyone just comes out because yeah. it's like, like you could just feel the energy. Of yeah. As soon as the fight starts, the only thing you hear is uh, Ricky Jay in the background. They watch the felt guys. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I also love, not that we can clip this, but how great Ian McShane as Al Swearingen is at doing nonverbal yeah. communication. Yeah. Because he does have a lot of that. It's his typical perch outside of his his office yeah. um, at the gem, like just watch over overseeing the thoroughfare. But also at the very end of the episode, when we get the, when we see the dance, Trixie is watching this moment and she turns around and smiles at Al. Uh-huh. And he like does this, he just cocks his head at her, but it just speaks volumes. Like it's so, yeah. Yeah. he's like a silent film actor. He's so great. Yeah. A role of a lifetime for that guy. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, people know him as Lovejoy or whatever, mm-hmm. but man, like that is like, how rare is yeah. the opportunity for a character that dynamic mm-hmm. yeah. and that brass Wait, to come Lovejoy? Along? It's a British show that oh. was it's a on crime, like year, a detective years ago. Show. Yeah, one of those five thousand one guys, a detective in Britain shows that <laughs> of Luther and all those Morse, kind of things. Right. Yeah, Poirot. Yeah, right, right. To make a video British, game like but, you know. uh, yeah. Mario All Star. Mar- <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the poor Seth and Alma. Not, yeah, not meant to be. Oh, not at all. Yeah, that was the, the first and the last time, right? I believe yeah, the so. only time. When's Molly Parker going to get another good role? She I was know, so she's good so on good this in show. This part. Yeah. She's really fantastic. Yep. I thought also, um, you hear a lot, we ta- you talked about it on a mini one time, about like towns being called a character. It's, it's a whatever character in the show. Mm-hmm. This is actually true because mm-hmm. the town is only an, um, an um, amassing of these characters, of yeah. these whatever, 10 billion, not whatever. Like it just feels like. Yeah. Every person, it feels like you know every person in Deadwood. And that's all that the town is at this point. It's so unformed and it's so, so it is just the people there. Yeah. And you can see it in the scenes where like they go to, to Chinatown or whatever. And it's just sort of like, oh, all these people, that's all it is, is just sort of like trying to corral all these people. When Peter Coyote is rallying his troops that are in town and he starts using, talking about like the, um, these United States of America, which this town will one day, part, uh, one day become. And you realize that like that's a thing where like people rally people around the concept of the United States that is totally absent in Deadwood because mm-hmm. it's so like you feel that absence of it because it's just that unincorporated. And, and as as everybody sees the inevitable future come down, yeah, they're basically not embracing it for its own sake. You know, there's not this sense of community 
Americanism. It's right. basically how am I going to get mines? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and it's so cool to see something that's so part of American history be that devoid of American <laughs> rah rah. That. But it, but it actually kind of speaks volume about sort of yeah. how the political process evolved. You know, when you look at yeah. these little microcosms about how, you know. People like to you know talk about the ideals of the political system, but really, you know, this is Deadwood is sort of like what's actually the happening. The realities right? of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And yeah. That, I mean, the, there's there's a whole thing about the Western, you know, kind of pioneering spirit and how yes. it, it really does feel like it's a it's a world away from New York when they talk about it. Oh, totally. And so when when nobody is interfering between Seth and Otis in that fight, I feel like that's what's going on. It's like yeah. everybody else in the Bell Union is like, this guy is, is encroaching oh, on us. He's a, he's a threat. Yeah, they're totally so it's in, in all our interest to right. silence. Him. Well, and you get that in every in every season. There's something that that everybody rallies right. around, whether it's Stephen Tobolowsky in the second season or certainly George Hurst in the third season. And in the first season, don't forget that, you know, like Deadwood is an island. One of the big plot points in the first season was just traveling in and out of the town you can get ambushed oh, yeah. Yeah. you know yes. by uh thieves you yeah. know uh indian tra- you know there's still indian wars going on yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so it really is like we're still talking about the frontier i mean yeah. right. the show doesn't often set itself outside the bounds yeah boundaries of you know the city limits but yeah. it's out there. It's, there, yes. there there's nothing out there yeah. <laughs> yeah well and so much of this episode this really is sort of like the doc shining example episode he had so much to do and you get so much of him in it and the scene where he's telling jewel like he's really underlining it in triplicate like any pain or numbness you better fucking let me know and it reminded like you would see that throughout the series just how frustrated he would get at the prospect of trying to be a caregiver to these people in these times who didn't know how to take care of themselves in any way. So he had to really keep reminding people like, no, really, this isn't a fucking joke. It reminded me of when Al had his kidney stones and he kept having to be like, explain how this was going to work. I also was kind of, the scene where he sort of has his post-traumatic stress thing and it's like, it's good, but it's very, very showy. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of bummed. I remember that was the season that Brad Dorif got the Emmy nomination. And I was like, he deserved it because he was so great. But it bums me out to think that it was probably just because they submitted that episode. And the Emmy voters are like, oh, well, he's clearly, you know, going. He definitely is most actor. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that kind of bummed me out. And also speaking of most actor, no Jane in this episode at all. Yeah. Which I thought was, which I didn't even think of because, again, there were so many people in Deadwood. Well, yeah, yeah. she left. The, she had episodes. Left, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because after uh, Wild Bill had yep. been killed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So shall we put it to a vote? I think we actually are probably over 33 minutes by now. <laughs> Go me. <laughs> this, se- this series. It's a really dense. Yeah. It's, there's a lot going on. It's of all the HBO series. When people talk about, like, are you a Sopranos person or are you a Wire person? Yeah. And, like, Deadwood is kind of, seems like a distant third for that. Easily, Deadwood is my favorite. Oh, it's my favorite show of all time. Yeah, it's it's yeah. certainly up there for me. Certainly yeah. among dramas, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tara, what vote you? Yay. And Joe? Yay. All right, Deadwood, Sold Under Sin, Season 1, Episode 12. You're hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week here at almost the hour mark. So mm, it's not too bad. Okay. Yeah, we're fine. That's fine. Winner of the week. Winner of the week is the loser of last week, Anne Curry. Comeback story of the year. She really did lose her job, <laughs> but reportedly she's getting paid $10 million what? to not do it anymore. What? 
getting fired I'll from do it for half the price. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe if I had been even shittier at my job, I would get paid $10 million to not do it anymore. Oh, man. Anyway, um, whatever. Good for her. But the final indignity is that they made her last day a Thursday. That's kind of a real, <laughs> that's an extra fuck you. Like, at least let her, let a lady go to the end of the week. Next week is the holiday. Who gives a shit? Listen, they Friday didn't. was busy enough because we're going to get into the loser of the week, <laughs> yeah. which isn't a person, but a whole class of a person. Uh-huh. The whoever ends up being... It's a person who's been identified, I'm sure, yeah. or on whom there is already a dossier. A dossier. <laughs> <laughs> this would be whoever ends up being the next person to be Tom Cruise's... Mrs. Cruise number four. Or perhaps the next Penelope Cruise in terms mm. of the non, right. non-wed... Are we, are we tra- talking about... Heterosexual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next future ex-Mrs. Cruise? Exactly. Here's exactly. a creepy thing, you guys. Uh-huh. And our friend Gail Cooper wrote about this for MSNBC. Yes. Tom Cruise has divorced all three of his wives when they turned 33. No kidding. Mm. It's probably some mystical properties to that. Also, as I said on Twitter yesterday, I would already like to preemptively congratulate congratulate Katie Holmes on her eventual Oscar nomination in 2014 (laughs) and her Oscar win in 2015. Because that is also (laughs) what happens when you break up with Tom Cruise. Mm, Not for Mimi Rogers. Not for Mimi Rogers, but they were still perfecting the system. That's true. Nicole Kidman nominated and then won within three years of breaking up with him. Penelope Cruz, the same thing. Guys, do you know what time it is? Game time. It's game time. Tara, do you have some news for us? Yeah, some of you may have noticed that last week's game time was the last game time of June. Which usually would mark the end of our season, each season going a quarter. Right. But here's what's going on. We are wrapping up this podcast. Here's the scoop. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have three more episodes to go after this one. The last episode will be for the week of July 23rd. And you're asking why? Why is this happening? Well, two thirds of us are moving across the country to LA. That's right. I me will and Joe. Miss you, Dave. <laughs> Uh, me and I Tara. Can't, I can't fight what you guys have. Listen, we didn't want it to be this way, but listen, I've made you've you've already talked to me about it. The so heart I've wants made my what piece. it wants. <laughs> me and Tara, heart and parts beyond picking up stakes here in New York, uh, putting them back down in L.A. And uh, you know the podcast being what it is, all three of us in the same room, yep. uh, having a laugh, playing games, mm-hmm. seeing each other, and all that. Obviously, it's not something that uh, we want to or can think we could do. Uh, you know, over Skype or right, or right. whatever. So, um, Telegram, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, uh, all good things must come to an end. Yes. And uh, we're not leaving yet. We still have a few more shows, a few more weeks to go. Yep. Um, so we'll make the best of what we have left. We'll try to get through all your standing uh, mini topics that yeah. are still in the hopper. Um, if you are owed one, please email me, Clark, at extrahotgreat.com. Yeah. If we've missed it at some point, we want to make sure we get those going. Um, on the podcast tip, um, we don't want to uh, promise anything, but I think in the fullness of time, there's a chance that you may, from the ashes of Extra Hot Great, <laughs> get two <laughs> other podcasts we'll yes. from da- Dave, the principles of Extra Hot Great. Dave and I are starting a new venture, which we can't say much about, but it, a yeah. podcast may at some point, once it gets established, be a part of it. Right. And now is a great time <laughs> for everyone to start peer pressuring Joe Reed to start his own podcast back here in New York. 
Yeah. Um, I will, I will, <laughs> so no, listen. Mind. I sure. My, my, I'm, I'm considering lots of options at this point. To be perfectly honest, I will also say, um, just short of a hundred episodes. So unfortunately, we mm. won't be going into syndication. Oh. No. Sorry, TBS. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. Well, let's have fun with what we have left. Yeah. Let's so the end of that is we're we're supersizing this yes. game time season. Yeah. We're taking it to so the this end. This one is for all the marbles. All right. So if you thought it was contentious before, <laughs> you fucking wait. Mark Blankenship, don't involve yourself in this one at all because Tara might really cut you. Oh, I would would scratch his eyes. All right, I'm going to reset this and let's play game time. Forget about everything we just said. (laughs) Forget. This is the 12th game time of the season. Tara is leading now. Six to Joe's five. Today we are playing It's Benson from (laughs) Kenneth. Here's how it's going to work. I am going to read you the name of a character who employs a butler or domestic servant type of person. Okay. You're going to tell me the butler's name for two points. Okay. Okay. You can ask for a hint in the form of the actor who plays said butler. I see. After which the correct answer, which again is uh, is the butler. Right. Is worth one point. Okay. Okay. Pre-hint, two points. Post-hint, one point. We have 26 questions for you today. And we uh, have a tiebreaker, of course. And now I'm going to do the uh, flippy. Uh, Flippy. (laughs) Yes, flippy. It's a card today. Picky. (laughs) Joe. Okay. All right, Joe. You are going first. Here we go. Ready to play It's Benson. Yes. Okay. The employer is Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, the butler, is Alfred. Correct. Tara, the employer, Maxwell Sheffield. Fran Fine. Correct. Joe. That's the butler? What's that? Oh, that's his nanny. Fran's the nanny. Yeah, domestic oh, servant. Oh, and, um. No, that's. Oh, that's what counts in this? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, a, and domestic servant, housekeepers, yeah. that okay, kind that's of stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Cool, okay. Okay. Um, Good, because I can't remember the butler's name. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. Yes. Mr. Body. Mr. Body from Clue, yeah. I guess. The butler would be named... The following. Oh, what was his name? Shit. It was something British. Um, Reginald? Wadsworth. Wadsworth. Man, by the way, uh, production note, it is currently about 125 degrees in the room yeah, right now. Is. Oh, we can't run the air conditioning. We're playing through the elements. It's fine. (laughs) All right. Tara. Yeah. George Owens. Hint. The actor's name is Christopher Hewitt. Mr. Belvedere. Nice. Correct. Joe. Yes. Employer, Uh Walter Powell. Walter Powell. Oh, this sounds familiar. Oh, oh, um, Charles. Correct for two points from Charles in charge. Oh. Tara? Yes? Lord Grantham. Um. We're going to go for the butler here, please. Mr. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe he's progressive. Well, he has a million servants. Mr. Is it Mr. Bates? That's his valet. I wanted the butler. I said I wanted the butler. The butler is Mr. Carlson. Carl. Carl. Carson. Carson. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so long. I know. Joe. I can remember Sybil, so. Mm. Your employer. Yeah. Maud Findlay. 
Maud Findlay. Oh, oh, who was her housekeeper on Maud? Florida? Yep. Correct. Nice. Florida Evans. Oops. Tara, your butler, nanny, house servant, Edmund, Duke of Edinburgh, employed that person. The employer Edmund. is Edmund, Duke of Edinburgh. Hint. Tony Robinson. Baldrick. Manservant. Baldrick. Joe. Yes. That was from Blackadder. Yeah. Your employer is George Jefferson. George Jefferson employed. Oh, what was her name? Um, Florence. Nice. Wow. Yeah. From the Jeffersons. Tara. Chief Carl Kaczynski. Kaczynski. Hint. Actor, Neil Carter. Nell Nell Carter? Nell Carter, sorry. I think her name was Nell on that show. Nell Harper. Give me me a break. (laughs) Joe. Yes. Freddie Frankenstein. (laughs) Uh, Hint. Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman played the maid domestic something. I don't know. Frau Bulcher from oh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, from Young Frankenstein. Okay. All right. Let's do a score I was break. thinking TV. Wow. Buttons everywhere. Picky, mind your own business. <laughs> score, Tara. Five. To Joe's. Eight. All right. So this one is for Me. Tara. Kelly Hallbrook. She employed... She was played by Octavia Spencer. I don't remember her name. From the help, that was Minnie. Minnie! Joe. Yes. Employer, Karen Walker. Karen Walker employed Rosario. Correct. On Will and Grace for two points. Tara. Yep. Uncle Bill Davis. And? Sebastian Cabot. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what this is. I don't know. Sabrina? <laughs> nope. Sorry, wrong button. That was Mr. French from Family Affair. Nope. Uh, <laughs> all right. Tar- uh, Joe? Yes. Norma Desmond. Oh, gosh. Here's where I admit to every gay man in New York City and beyond that I've never seen Sunset Boulevard. Uh, I have no idea. That was Max. Yeah. Max. All right, Tara. Mm-hmm. Arthur Bach. Hint. John Gilgood. Uh, it's from Arthur. I don't know. Hobson. Joe, number 17. It's Red Eagle. Gomez Adams. Um, employed Lurch. Correct, for two points. Tara. Yep. Mike Brady. Alice. For two points from the Brady Bunch. Joe. Yes. Number 19. 19. Atticus Finch. Oh, dear. What was her name? Calpurnia. Correct for two points from To Kill, to a, kill Mockingbird. a Mockingbird. And number 20, Tara. George Jetson. Rosie. Correct for two points. All right. That Who was the me. actress behind Rosie, can I ask? Uh, Jean Vanderplil. Sure. Yeah. You know. She also voiced Wilma. Ah, cool. Nine. Score Nine. Two. 14. Nine to 14. Wow. All right. This is Joe's game. All right, so this is Joe's question as well. Yes. Angela Bauer. 
Tony Maselli. Correct for two points. Tara. Tony Stark. Oh, it's voiced by Paul Jarvis. Nice. Paul. Two points. All right. Voiced by who? Paul Bettany. Ah. Dexter Morgan for Joe. Dexter Morgan has a... Apparently, after I stopped watching. Oh, I think he got a nanny after I stopped watching, too. I have no idea. Sonia, the nanny. Sure. Let's assume she died. (laughs) For Tara. Yep. Cinnamon Scudworth. Mr. Butler, John. Wesley. Two points from Clone High. Joe. Yes. Your last question. Okay. Philip Drummond. Philip Drummond from Different Strokes, I guess. Right, employed. Is he the one who employed Mrs. Garrett? Is that your answer? Yeah. Yes. Correct for two points. And last question for Tara Inspector Clouseau. I don't know. Kato. Kato. Tara's shaking her head. All right. Nope. Score break. Tara. 13. To Joe's. 18. All right, Joe. Yay! Joe. All right, shits and giggles time. Get ready on the buzzer. The employer for It's Benson is Jessica Tate. Benson. Benson. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We relaxed in our banana hammocks for our discussion (laughs) of Steven Soderbergh's one blurry penis stripper movie, Magic Mike. And we didn't appreciate Aaron Sorkin's newsroom because we are dumb. We are not old enough. We are not white enough. Plus, Tara has to grow one non-blurry penis at minimum. <laughs> we inducted Deadwood's Sold Under Sin into the canon, crowned winners and losers of the week, and Joe was the winner of this week's game time evening up the season. Hey, we have an end date, but it's not over yet. Remember... We're listening. <laughs> I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano. On the tit. And Joey. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Crate. Announcing your plans. It's a good way to hear God laugh.